I guess we can all go home now. Praise the Lord for that. That could not have been a more perfect opening for our sermon, Get Ready, Be Ready. Our scripture passage comes from the book of Matthew chapter 24. If you have your Bibles turned there, it will be on the screen. Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 42. Jesus speaking here, and he says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not been allowed, and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm asking you to come and give me an extra dose of your Holy Spirit to be able to speak what you have given me. And I pray, Father that all of our toes are stepped on today because we need to be awakened from our stupor and we need to ask ourselves, am I ready for Jesus to come? Please bless us with your presence just now. May all hearts and minds who are tuned in or in the room be focused. May we concentrate and not be distracted, Lord. And may we hear what your spirit has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a question. Why are you here? Why do you come to church and read your Bible and pray? And do all the things that Christians do. Have you ever asked yourself that question? The answers, no doubt, are many. Some of you would say, because I love Jesus. That's a good answer. And it's the right answer. Some of you would say, because I want to go to heaven. I'm tired of this life. That's also a good answer, and also the right answer. No doubt many, most maybe most of us, would say that we're longing for something more, something better, something that Jesus called eternal life. Have you ever thought about that phrase, eternal life? Can we even fathom that? We talked in our Sabbath school class, my youth that are here this morning who are, I'm sure, listening very intently, about eternal life. 
and we have a hard time of grasping what it means <clears throat> to live forever. But you know, sometimes we, we can't picture, is it, is it life floating on clouds and strumming harps? No. Praise God. Praise God. Bob says, no, it's not that. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, Jesus gave the best definition of eternal life when he said, and this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That was done on the screen. You get that in for free, no charge. Eternal life is more than space and time. Eternal life is more than thoughts about the future, millions and millions of years into the future. Eternal life is being in relationship with God and with Jesus Christ here and now. And if we are in that, we can experience some of what is eternal life. It's a beautiful thought. I want to share with you my most favorite passage in all of Scripture. It'll be on your screen, but no doubt some of you know it by heart. Many of you, most of you have read it many times. It is seared into my brain. I have read it so much, and it says this. It comes, I'm sorry, it comes from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Eddie, let not your heart be troubled. Janelle, let not your heart be troubled. Ressa, let not your heart be troubled. Donna, let not your heart be troubled. Those words are for you, and they are for me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Do you believe that? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Bob says. I will come again. Why? To receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. My favorite passage in all of Scripture. What is the promise that the Lord made to us in those verses? Is that he is going to return. Do we believe that? Does God keep his promises? How do you know? Has God ever kept a promise to you? Oh, many of us are shaking our heads. Yes, God has kept his promises to us. Does God mean what he says? Does God come through when he says he will come through? Every time. Thank you so much. I'm interested in looking at a promise that God made to a fellow by the name of Abraham. Go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. 
Beginning at verse 1, the Bible says as such. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. <clears throat> and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm going to pause right there. What was the culmination of the promise that God made to Abraham or Abram? It was land. If you think about it, land. I want us to see that big picture. God promised his faithful children land. There's a famous quote from a movie. I don't even know what it is. But I remember hearing it years ago. It said, without the land, the man is nothing. Think about that. What is it that God offers us? Eternal life, yes. But it is land free from sin. Oh, I can't wait for that. And it goes on and says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were there in, then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. We're going to preach about land today. Sort of, kind of. When we read our Bible history, we know that just a couple of generations later, the people of Israel became slaves in Egypt. And they cried out to God for decades. And eventually God sent Moses to be their deliverer. What would it be like to be in that position as one of the slaves in Egypt and to know that Moses had come after being gone for 40 years. He had come to deliver them and then they had to sit and wait. Imagine, Moses comes into the group of people. Are we leaving today? Well, no, not today. When are we leaving? Soon. Interesting word, soon. How about tomorrow? Well, I don't know, but soon. Not tomorrow. How many of us remember being a child in the month of December? And we see the calendar hanging up in the kitchen and it says, Mom finally says, it's December. Everybody knows what's in December that kids like. Christmas. But the problem is it's December 1st. And tomorrow is December the 2nd. And the next day is December the 3rd. Oh, is it ever going to get here? <clears throat> the days drag by slowly. 
but we know that it's coming. You ever wonder how long it took for the descendants of Abraham to actually inherit the land? I did a little calculation based on uh, the Bible timeline that I found for the amazing facts. It's, amazing, it's estimated that Abraham received the call to leave his family in about 1870 B.C. And it is also estimated that the Israelite nation, the descendants of Abraham, crossed the Jordan River and began to take possession of the Canaan land in about 1406 B.C. That means that they had to wait 464 years between the time that Abraham received his first promise and when Israel saw the actual fulfillment of the promise. 464 years. That's a long time to wait. <clears throat> How long have we been waiting for Jesus to come? So for many of us, our entire lives, right? Our entire lives. But there was a problem. We won't read it. But from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, if you read it yourself, you will find that they had opportunity to take that land 40 years earlier. And they didn't. Because they were frightened of what was on the other side. Remember when we read in Numbers 13 that the, the spies were sent into the land and what did they find? We went to the land where you sent us, they said. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit. And two men stood carrying a bundle of grapes so big that it took two men to hold it. If they had just focused on God's promise and focused on the positive, they would have been much better off, but they allowed their fear of the people on the other side to overshadow their desire to take the land that God had promised. Do you remember that story that Ellen White told about the friend that she had who always seemed to be looking on the gloomy side of things. And after she read a letter from her friend, she had a dream in which she and the friend were walking in a garden. And while she, in the dream, while she was enjoying the beautiful flowers in the garden, <clears throat> her friend was all bothered by the thorns that were spoiling the garden. Then a guide came along in the dream, a heavenly messenger, and told her to focus on the flowers, not the thorns. Focus on the positive, not on the negative. In this life, there will always be thorns among the roses, rain along with the sunshine, sad days in the midst of happy days. But for the Israelites, the day did come. They did cross over. They did possess the land, just like God had promised. God always keeps his word. Amen? So with that in mind, we're going to look at a couple of the parables Jesus has given us from the book of Matthew chapter 24. Now, before we begin reading the passages... I want to point out that in Matthew chapter 24, the, verse, the first about 26 verses tell about the coming tribulation and the terrible and the awful things that will come and be seen on planet earth. But then Jesus 
begins an upswing in the conversation by pointing the disciples to the, to the culmination of all of these events. The second coming. And there are several parables in a row, and even into chapter 25, that deal with the second coming of Jesus. We have the parable of the sign of the Son of Man, the parable of the fig tree, the one where he says no one knows the day or the hour, the two servants, the wise and foolish virgins, the parable of the talents, and the two classes of people. All of this is found in Matthew 24 and 25. And it all is relating to the second coming of Jesus. But I want to start reading in verse 42. We've already read it, but I want to go over it again. Matthew 25 or 24 and verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You do not know. In the next one, verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. And 44. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Friends, don't ever say, Jesus won't come tomorrow. Right? Right? You say, yeah, but we have an understanding of Bible prophecy. And we know, Bible, we know what Bible prophecy says about how un- events will unfold in the last days. Well, that's true. But what if Jesus doesn't come within 100 years? Or 50 years? Or 25 years? Or even 10 years? My friends, some of us may not even be here in 10 years. Likely, many of us will not be here in 50 years. And very likely, that I'm going to say none of us, or almost none of us, will be here within 100 years. This is why, as Paul said, Or this is because, I should say, as Paul says, it is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. The point is that none of us knows the future. Even the near future. We don't know what's going to happen next month, next week, or even tomorrow. So don't ever say, Jesus can't come tomorrow because some of us may not be here tomorrow. And we know what the Bible says about death. That when you go to sleep, the next thing you know, you wake up to one of the two resurrections. Hence the sermon title, Get Ready, Be Ready. And in verse 45 of Matthew 24, we read on, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? who his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming 
and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion to the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. My friends, this parable is aimed not at Christians and non-Christians, not at the saved and the unsaved, It is aimed at Christians and so-called Christians. When the master came home, the faithful servant was found working. He'd been given rulership over the household, and he was feeding the other members of the house. But the evil servant, when the master returned, was found doing two things. Beating the other servants and drinking with the drunkards. My friends, that makes me think about the remnant people today. (laughs) Could it be that the remnant people today are, one, too busy fighting with each other and partying with the world? Hmm, just a thought. And continuing on, no, not continuing on. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. That was one parable. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Do you see a big dividing taking place? My friends, that really should be happening now. Right? That division, God is, of course, prompting it all. But we should be taking part in that great division taking place. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, as I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I'm going to pass over the other part. I'm going to pass over the other part. Because I want you to see that the second coming and the division of the people, some of it involved is how we treat other people. Isn't that right? How many of us keep our Christianity to ourselves and all we, we 
we, we read our Bibles every day and we pray every day and we go to church every Sabbath, but how many of us are showing our Christianity to those that we come in contact with every day? Especially those that are in need. Okay, I'm not going to pass over the other part. i got to read it. Sorry, Mike. Forgive me for that. Let's see. That would be... I've thrown them off. My apologies. All right. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 42. Thank you so much. Actually, let's go back. 42, not 42. The one before that. 41. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. Do you see yourself in any of this? I hope not. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? He will answer them saying, as surely as I say to you, and as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into, there's that phrase again, eternal life. Again, two classes of people, those who were ministering to the needs of others and those who were not. Guess what? If you are busy ministering to the needs of others, you have no time for selfishness or self-exaltation. But many Christians today have no concern for others, for the souls who are perishing around them. They're all too busy with self. What are you doing to relieve the suffering of others? What are you doing to increase the harvest that Jesus and his angels will give us one day? The bigger question is, will you even be there on that day? Years ago, when I was a teenager and in my 20s, we used to sing this song in church. My grandmother, I remember it was one of her favorite songs. She was the pianist of the church. And the song said, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Some of you know it too, don't you? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. <clears throat> and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You know that song? Do you feel that this world is not your home? I mean, I know that we're here for the time being. We're, I like to say the word sometimes, stranded. We're kind of stranded here. But God has a plan, right? And he's going to deliver us, but for the time being, we're kind of limited here. But do you feel at home here? You ever stay in a motel for an extended period of time? There's a bed. There's a shower and there's hot water. But you don't feel at home, right? Not really. It's not your bed. 
It's not your shower. It's not your kitchen. Is this... Or do you feel pretty comfortable in this home? Oh, it's all I've ever known. It says, my treasures are where? Here? No. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's where the treasure is. Unfortunately, many of our treasure, many of our, some of us, some of you watching, your treasure is right here. Angels are there to aid us, to help us, to guide us. And I can't feel at home. How about you? Do you long for something more or are you fairly content? Those of you watching today, do you long for something more, something greater, or are you just kind of drifting through life? Pretty comfortable. Uh, it's all I've ever known. Sadly, there are many Christians today who would say that they want to be there, but there's no actual evidence in their lives that they want to be there. They say they want to be in heaven, but they practice the same customs of the world. They watch the same programs as the world. They use the same language as the world. They eat and drink the same things as the world. They listen to the same music as the world, and on and on and on. Let's look at what Paul has to say in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning with verse 14. <clears throat> Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Let me ask you a question. How many of you know that Paul is talking about more than just being married to someone? We know that, right? It's not just about who you're married to, even though <clears throat> when we're counseling our young people, we'll say, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, and it's good counsel. But it's far wider and greater than that. Many of us have associations that lead us down wrong paths. He goes on. And what accord has Christ with Belial... Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Let's pause there. Do you know and believe that you are the temple of God? <coughs> Do you want to be the temple of God? Paul says that the temple of God has nothing in common with the temple of idols. And he gives this promise. I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. And I will make them my children. But there's a condition. 
And the condition is found in verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. The promise, I will dwell in them, I will walk with them, I'll be their God, they'll be my children, but you have to walk away from that which makes you unclean. You have to separate yourself. And he he reiterates the fulfillment again. I will be your father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. See, unfortunately, though, many of us suffer from a delusional thinking. We think that we can walk in that which makes us unclean, and God will still accept us. No, no, that's not what he said. I think about the second angel's message found in the book of Revelation 14. Did you know, and you probably knew this, did you know that there's a shadow of the second angel's message found in the book of Jeremiah? Go with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 51. Jeremiah chapter 51. <clears throat> we have three verses, not, they, don't, they don't flow in a row. I just have three verses picked. Jeremiah 51 verse 44 myself I will punish Bel in Babylon I will bring out of his mouth what he has swallowed and the nations shall not stream to him anymore yes the wall of Babylon shall fall skip down to or the next one is verse 45 my people go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce angle of the Lord In verse 47, Therefore, behold, the days are coming that I will bring judgment on the carved images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be ashamed, and all her slain shall fall in her midst. Let me ask for a volunteer. Somebody tell me what does the second angel of Revelation chapter 14 say? In a nutshell, tell me. Babylon is fallen and what? Get out. Thank you. That's the words that I was choosing exactly. Not just come out, get out. Revelation 14 and verse 8 says it very clearly. Another angel followed saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. That great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then another angel comes along in Revelation chapter 18 and gives us this message. Revelation 18 and verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean, uh, unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth had committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth had become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. 
Now, many of us might be saying today, well, I'm glad I'm not a part of that, that, that church over across the ocean <clears throat> that comprises Babylon. I, I'm glad my name are on the church books of a Seventh-day Adventist church and not that mother church. Well, friends, some of us are still in Babylon today, right now, and we don't even know it. Babylon is not just a church. It's not just a system. Babylon is a mindset, and God is calling us out to be separate, to be a distinct people while there is time. God is calling us to get out, to walk away from the music of your world, from the fashion of the world, from the language of the world, from the entertainment and the habits and customs of the world and be separate to fulfill the calling of, of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9, which says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. God is calling us to fulfill that. Will you do it? Are you up to the challenge? Of course, we can only accomplish this by being filled with the Holy Spirit and being completely surrendered to God. <clears throat> I have a kind of a lengthy quote. I didn't send it to them to put it on the screen. I just want to re read it to you. It comes from the book Early Writings. It begins on a page 119. She says, I saw that the remnant were not prepared for what is coming upon the earth. Stupidity, like lethargy, seemed to hang upon the minds of, the next word is, most of those who profess to believe that we are having the last message. My accompanying angel cried out with an awful solemnity. He said, get ready. Get ready. Get ready. For the fierce anger of the Lord is come, is soon to come. His wrath is to be poured out unmixed with mercy. And you're not ready. Rend the heart, not the garment. A great work must be done for the remnant. Many of them are dwelling upon little trials. She goes on to say, I saw that God's people are on the enchanted ground. Now, that word enchanted is not a good ground in the particular context. I saw that God's people are on the enchanted ground and that some have lost nearly all sense of the shortness of time and worth of the soul. Pride has crept in among Sabbath keepers. Pride of dress and appearance, says the Lord, or says the angels, Sabbath keepers will have to die to self and die to pride and love of approbation. Many have unsubdued hearts and think more of their own grievances and trials than the souls of sinners. If they had the glory of God in view, they would feel for perishing souls around them. And as they realize their perilous situation, 
would take hold with energy, exercising in faith, and hold up the hands of his servants, that they might boldly, yet in love, declare the truth and warn souls to lay hold upon it before the sweet voice of mercy should die away. Friends, she's talking about us. God's people. Unsubdued, unhumbled hearts who care more about ourselves than the people who are dying out there without Christ. Now, I do have a slide to share with you. It comes from the book, First Selected Messages, page 399, paragraph 2. Uh, let's see. There we go. There is the first one. I don't know if I gave it to you in the wrong order. There are some who are seeking, always seeking for the goodly pearl. But they do not make an entire surrender of their wrong habits. They do not die to self that Christ may live in them. Therefore, they do not find the precious pearl. And the next one. They have not overcome unholy ambition and their worldly attractions. They do not lift the cross and follow Christ in the path of self-denial and self-sacrifice. They never know what it is to have peace and harmony in the soul. For without entire surrender, there is no rest and no joy. Almost Christians, yet not fully Christians, they seem near to the kingdom of heaven, but they do not enter therein. Almost, but not wholly saved, means to not be, to be not almost, but wholly lost. Friends, wouldn't it be a shame to almost get there? To almost be there and not be there? How sad. I'd like to call our praise team to come up <clears throat> as we read our our last quote, this comes from Last Day Events, page 77, paragraph 3. It begins with, we should watch and work. We should watch and work and pray as though this were the very last, the last day that would be granted us. Each morning, consecrate yourselves and your children to God for that day. Make no calculation for months or years, these are not yours. One brief day is given you, as if it were your last on earth, work during its hours for the master. Lay all your plans before God to be carried out or given up as his providence shall indicate. My friends, God is calling us today Many of us have, have, have made great strides to come out of Babylon, but there's still a few things left over. There's still a few steps left to take. There's still some chains that are holding you to the gate of Babylon, and you just can't quite make it there. God is calling us to let those chains fall away, to leave the rest of the Babylonish traits and characters that we have left to leave the rest of it behind and to walk into the pearly gates. 
She says, one brief day is given to you. One day. You have opportunity to walk free of chains today. Will you do it? Will you take that step? Will you ask God, God, show me what part of Babylon is still left in my life that I need to walk away from in order that I might more walk more closely and perfectly in harmony with your will. If that is your prayer this morning, I invite you to stand with me this afternoon now. If you recognize that there's some parts of Babylon still left in you that you need to walk away from, that is why you're standing today. And I was the first standing. But there are bits and pieces of Babylon that still remain in my heart, in my life, that's tying me down and keeping me from walking completely in God's will. And I want to surrender that today. I want to walk away from that today, and I hope that you do as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, most of us here today, we recognize that there are bits and pieces of Babylon still remaining in us that need to be surrendered, that need to be walked away from and given up so that we might more fully accomplish your will for our lives. Oh, Father, I pray for each one who is listening today. I pray for each one who is in this sanctuary today. I pray for those that some of the, the sermon went in one ear and out the other, because I know there's got to be someone. I pray for them, Lord, that we will feel the nearness of the coming of Jesus. And we will respond to the messages of Revelation 14 and Revelation 18, which says, come out. We know that you're calling us out. Help us to respond. And some of us are powerless, Lord. We're so sunken deep in our sin. Please send your spirit to lift us up. Please send your angels, as, as they did for Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, to pull them out and say, come out. Destruction is coming. Help us, Lord, to value the time that you're giving us to get right, to get out, to get ready, and to be ready. We thank you for the giving of your word today. I pray that it has spoken to each of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our closing song is probably one of the most familiar.